Good morning and welcome to the house of the Lord. And thank you, Lord. Um, it's uh, always good to meet in the house of the Lord, and especially this time of year when we uh, celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we have a chance to come here and to worship Him in this uh, uh, holy place, a place that's been set apart and dedicated uh, for the worshiping of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as you know, we try as much as we can to keep this room a holy place where the Lord is welcome here and the Lord likes to reside here and His presence is felt here. So it's good to be with you in the house of the Lord this morning. And uh, I want to uh, recognize this is, uh, I do, I'm getting old but I do remember the days and the months of the year and realize that we're in the Christmas season. And uh, if you, uh, and, and normally this time of year we would, we would sing uh, Christmas hymns and stuff, but if you notice in your bulletin today, uh, we're singing Redeemer of Israel and When Holy Ghost Shall Come Again. Doesn't that speak about the birth of Jesus and the Jesus' life? and what he means to us as a result of his birth. And so uh, those, those were thoughts that I had already picked those hymns and sent them to Tina and sent them to Jeff so that we made sure that everybody knew. And then the thought of a, this Christmas season, maybe we should have had Christmas songs. But the more I thought about it, the more I believe that these are the hymns that the Lord wants us to sing today. Redeemer of Israel, the one who, who is uh, um, upon whom we call for a blessing. And, uh, and what, what, a, uh, what a blessing he is in our life. And the hope that we have through Jesus Christ and his re- return uh, to the earth. So... Um, and the theme for this week was the, the 40th chapter of the book of Isaiah. And I want to read you some verses out of that, out of that chapter, beginning in the 40th chapter in, in, the, um, in the third verse. The voice of him who crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the, make straight in the desert a highway. For our God, every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. And some of my favorite, one of my favorite Isaiah scriptures is those last Four verses. Hast thou not heard it? Hast, hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is he weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases, increases strength. 
Even the lose, even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the youth, young men shall utterly fall. But this is the scripture that I like best. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as angels, and they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Almighty God, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, I approach your throne, O God. And in the beauty of this morning as we have gathered, Lord, you have painted a beautiful picture upon your nature. And through the fog and the dreary, Lord, beauty of the whiteness upon the trees and upon the grass, And Lord, such beauty that comes from uh, the, the fog. And Lord, we know that this is your plan. 
and that through pain and suffering and trial, beauty comes. And Lord, as this group of thy saints has gathered, I would pray for them. And Lord, not just this group, but the many other groups that have gathered together in your name. Lord, I would present them to you now, humble followers who have come to lay their troubles and their burdens down at your feet, to hear the good word, that word of life, that it might be spoken in such power that it will bring life and renewing to their spirits and to their minds and carry them on their journey and on their pathway which you have set them upon. Lord, I would ask that you would forgive each one of their sins, that you might prepare their hearts and that they would be open and that their minds would be open and that your Holy Ghost, which you have granted unto our brother Jeff, would have utterance through him that you might even open the windows of heaven unto him, Lord, that he might have those words to speak and that your spirit would carry them into our hearts and our minds and our understanding and that they might become a part of us. Lord, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, and for his life and his death. And at this time of year, as we continue to focus more intently upon his birth, May that resonate with us, Lord. May we always remember his birth as well as his death and his life. Lord, please bless my brethren here upon this pulp, on this rostrum, as they have their various responsibilities. May you guide and direct them and bless them. And Lord, we are so thankful and grateful for the many gifts and blessings of this life. And may all the honor and the praise and the glory be thine forever and ever is our prayer, and we pray this now, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I too noticed the beautiful silvery frost that was on the the trees, and it's certainly a sign of the times, um, the season. As we are in this giving uh, holiday season, Buckner can be proud that they've always had such a giving spirit, but we need to remember that there are people who will have to be out in that cold, either receiving like bell ringers, homeless that need help. So let's not forget people outside of this branch. Will you pray with me? Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the abundance that is in our lives. We pray, O God, that you would guide and direct our hearts, that we would know when we are to extend the hand of relief unto our fellow man. Father, the monies that we gather this morning, I pray that you would guide and direct their wise usage, that they would go to their proper destination, that we would continue to use those monies to help build your kingdom, to help people that are in need. 
Once again, Father, I thank you for the blessings of life. And I ask this prayer in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. For your thoughtful consideration this morning, I read to you the first five verses from the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and We esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. 
Well, that was just beautiful. I'm afraid my voice will ruin the hour. That was beautiful. I've said it before. The throne of God is surrounded by numerous concourses of angels, and they're all singing His praise. And today, you added, all of you, you added to that chorus. That was beautiful. Uh, This day, you minister to an elder, and the Lord will not forget your service. The second chapter of John begins with the happiest of happy moments, a wedding. There's a wedding in the city of Cana of Galilee. Now, Cana is not too terribly far away from a city called Nazareth, which is where our Lord went and spent his youth. Not terribly far away from a city called Capernaum, where our Lord will eventually go to spend much of his Galilean ministry. But here in the second chapter of John, there's a marriage. And Mary, the mother of our Lord, is in attendance. Now, it's to my understanding, according to Jewish tradition about this time, that weddings took place over the course of This is actually a pretty long time, over the course of several days. You had many friends and family traveling from out of town. They would use whatever primitive method for transportation that they had, and so they would have this wedding feast or festival that would take place over the course of several days. Well, somewhere in the course of this several days, the supply of wine began to run dry. Now Mary, being sensitive to this need, she calls her son, Jesus, over to the wedding. He and his disciples to come close so she can relay this important matter. In the fourth verse, you can read his response. He said, Jesus said unto her, Woman, what wilt thou have me to do for thee? That will I do for Mine hour is not yet come. And so his mother instructed the servants to do even as according as Jesus uh, ordered. And so our Lord, he looks around and he spies that there's these pitchers lying around, pitchers of water. Now these pitchers of water, they're used for the the Jewish um, uh, ritualistic uh, purification and uh, cleaning rituals associated with weddings. And so Christ orders that these pitchers are filled with water, fill them back up again. And so they do. The servants, they fill these pitchers of water, and it says they fill them right up to the brim. And then our Lord, he orders that they draw from these pitchers and take this water which was made into wine to the governor of the feast. Now, as soon as he tastes it, he is immediately bowled over, delighted. This is so delicious. I love it. Why on earth did you wait so long to bring it out? John seals the rest of this testimony with uh, these words in verse 11. He says, 
This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory. And the faith of his disciples was strengthened in him. Now certainly this would have been a strengthening experience to witness this physical transformation of water into wine right in front of all of their eyes and to happen so swiftly, so quickly. There it is, it happens. And they all partook of this wine and they all uh, tasted it. And so they had this this shared memory. Everyone there at this wedding festival would have this, this shared experience of this miracle that happens before them. This miracle is so unlike the majority of Christ's other miracles. Most of those are in the form of a, a healing of some way or another. But this one, unusual among Christ's miracles. Would have sealed it in their minds. Even as it sealed it in the mind of John. When he goes to write his gospel about the life of Christ so many years later. This is where he begins in Cana of Galilee. So how do we treat our Lord? How do we treat our Lord Jesus Christ? How do we treat him in this church? When you break up into your, your own separate ways and you go into your, your own lives, when you, you leave this, this holy sanctuary and you go home, even in your own homes, how do we treat Christ in our homes? And the day after, when Monday comes and we break apart and we go even our own separate ways, do you carry Christ with you? Do you glorify your God? How do you treat Christ in your life. When Mary called Jesus to this wedding festival and she looked up into his face, she saw his eyes. Those same eyes that she's looked into every day of his life. She saw that face the same face that she's seen around her dinner table for so many years. She looked up and she saw this young man standing before her, the same young man that, that ran off to go and work in his father's wood shop. She looked up and she saw her son standing before her. So that was Jesus Christ standing before Mary. That was Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God who is full of grace and truth, as Timothy calls him, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, to whom be honor and glory and power everlasting. His name is Wonderful, Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, stood before Mary that day and he said, Woman, what would you have me do for you? My time on this earth has not yet come. How did she respond? 
or the temporal. What was right in front of her, that problem that seems so urgent right now. Our master summed up the relationship of uh, mankind to the truth. In the third chapter of John, he writes these words, And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil. For everyone who doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he who loveth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made, may be made manifest. And he who obeyeth the truth, the works which he doeth, they are of God. Mankind, gosh, how on earth did we get to this terrible, this lamentable situation? So deplorable. This is disgusting, isn't it? That men love darkness rather than the life. How on earth? Christ said these words 2,000 years ago. They were the same true then as they are today, perhaps even more so. Men love darkness darkness rather than the light. And why? Well, because our deeds are evil. They're selfish. They're carnal. We'd rather be in the darkness because if we come to the light that our deeds will be held accountable to someone other than ourselves. As long as we're in the darkness then we're only accountable unto ourselves. We're only accountable to our own vanity or our own ambition. But as soon as we step into the light, as we come closer to the light, our deeds are made manifest. And as a consequence, we are now responsible unto the Lord. We're now responsible to someone else besides ourselves. It's only when we become responsible for our deeds unto God that we can be, learn how to love our God. It's only once we become responsible for our finances that we can tithe as we're supposed to. It's only once that we become responsible for our time that we can pray as we ought. It's only once we become responsible for ourselves and to that God that can look into your heart and he knows your every thought We can express things like joy or patience, charity for someone else. Mankind doesn't want to travel to the light because that would admit that they need saving. The only way that a person can, the only way that Christ can be your Savior is once you've admitted that you need saving. And admitting that you need saving is admitting that you've done something wrong, admitting your wickedness. Did Mary admit that Christ was her Savior? Sounds like yes. She had a problem, and she called her son for a temporal need and for a temporal solution. When we leave the sanctuary... Do we treat Christ as our Savior, spiritually? There's a story in the book of Luke, in the seventh chapter. 
And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at the master's and stood at his feet weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had bidden him saw this, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who or what manner of woman this is who toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Jesus answering, said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. He said, Master, say on. And Jesus said, There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. And the one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when he found they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose the man to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman And said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thy house, thou gavest gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time that I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. So this woman, upon hearing the news that her master would be in the house of this Pharisee, be at a particular house for a particular period of time, she decided to seize her opportunity. And so she grabbed her little alabaster box full of ointment, and she went over to this this Pharisee's house. Now, this woman was a sinner, and apparently well-known. It would not have been allowed in the house of a Pharisee on any other usual day, but on this day, her master was in that house. And she came and she stood before him weeping. But seeing that this situation was not appropriate, she began to kneel before her master. And there weeping, her tears became so profuse so big they were, dropping down her face, they began to wash the feet of her master. Christ's feet 
covered in dust and dirt from long miles of winding roads and cobblestone pathways. His feet were dusty and dirty, and her feet and her tears began to wash them clean. When that was not enough, she used the very hairs of her head to dry them and clean them. In the last few hours of Christ's life, he performed an ordinance of the washing of the feet of his disciples. And he began to wash them. Uh, During his, his last supper there, he rose up and he took a basin and he filled it with water. And he threw a towel on him and he began to wash the feet of his disciples one by one. And at last he came to Peter and uh, Peter said, no, 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 he, he demurred, he shied away, he said, no, no, master, you don't have to wash my feet, entirely missing the significance. Our master responded with, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no part in me. Now this woman, she had no basin of water, she had no towel. She washed her master's feet. She was not ordained as any priesthood. She was not conducting any sacred or holy ordinance. But she was setting Christ apart in her life. As Christ set his disciples apart in their ministry, she set him apart. He was the only person worthy of that gift. He was the only person worthy of He was the only person that could grant her the the mercy that she sought, the forgiveness that she begged for. As she cried, she cried tears. Sometimes these tears of frustration. Perhaps born from too many times the temptation came into her attention. Where she was only able to refuse, but for a short while, each time breaking a promise she made to herself. Tears she cried onto her master, perhaps born from anger, perhaps born from that self-flagellating hatred of too many indulgences entertained in a course for life. As one excuse led to another, perhaps led her into a life she had not quite imagined for herself. Tears, perhaps born from guilt, A guilt of the knowledge that according to Jewish law that there was a punishment affixed for every transgression. She herself feels guilty for her sins, which are many indeed, and the part that she plays in adding to that bitter cup of pain, torture, and torment of an unofficial uh, judgment and crucifixion. But even through all and above all, each tear that she cries acknowledges him as her Savior. He is her Savior and the only person fit on the face of the earth for her to beg mercy. The only person who could grant to her that forgiveness. What was her crime? Gosh, what was her sin? You know, 
when Christ came to this earth, did he meet with kings and queens? Leaving the heavenly courts above, did he come and meet with kings and queens? Was he dressed in soft apparel? Did he find himself ushered into halls of authority, unanimously celebrated as king of the earth? No. No, our master was... He met with Roman authority, and they crucified him. He met with Jewish authority, they rejected him. And oftentimes he found himself surrounded by publicans and sinners. A woman, caught even in the very act of adultery, dragged halfway across the city and paraded in front of him that they would see what he would make of her. Another woman, this time a mother, preferentially feed her dogs before feeding her own children. Sorry, friends, that one's kind of hard for me. If I had to be honest, my children usually eat before I do. As a matter of fact, sometimes they're done before I get to sit down with my plate. I don't know how it works at your house. That one's hard for me. But this woman, she came into her Lord, and she begged a healing. Now, our master had to set her straight. That's not how we do things. But even she left with a blessing. He said, O oh, great is thy faith, and thy daughter, be it according to thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was healed from that very moment. What was this woman's transgression? What was this woman's crime? What was it that hung over her head and laid so heavy on her heart? And pushed her into such a dramatic display. What was it that she brought to the Master's feet that day? Did it really have to be anything exceptional? So many times I have prayed unto the Lord with feelings of unworthiness before Him. Yes, Lord, I've I've sinned again. And no, I am not worthy, again, of your forgiveness. What was her crime? Perhaps only a life lived. There she heard the most beautiful words issued in the English language. Thy sins are forgiven from the only man who could forgive them. Thy sins are forgiven. And so when she rose up from that position of washing her master's feet, her her hair matted with tears and dirt and clumps of mud, she rose up cleaner than she has ever been. Forgiven by her master. She celebrated him as her king. She had a choice then as she rose up and exited that Pharisee's house. She had a choice. Will I fall back into old habits? 
Or will I recognize him as both Savior and King? To recognize him as her Savior, she takes these sins and she begs for his forgiveness. For oftentimes that we pray, suffer us not to be led into temptation, deliver us from evil, all the time recognizing his is the power and authority in the kingdom. But to recognize Christ as her king, is to do his commands. To recognize him as a king is to submit oneself to his commandments. This gospel, getting ahead of myself here, this gospel, it came from God. If he is our king, that we should find the same things important that he found in this life. This gospel, he tells us again and again throughout the book of John, he says that I learned this gospel from my father. The words that I speak to you, God spoke to me. The Heavenly Father taught him this gospel, and the words as recorded here in the scriptures, they are the words direct from God through his son, Jesus Christ. And so this gospel that he was sent here to this earth, to preach. It was important to him to give it to us. Is it important to us to receive it? These scriptures, which contain his gospel, these scriptures, they're obviously important to our Heavenly Father. They were given to us, and then through the generations, mankind has saw fit to sort of muddle them up, to mix them up, to clip words, to edit here and there, and to change the meaning to fit the situation. And it wasn't until the Lord gave Joseph the Urim and Thummim that he was able to reestablish and purify these scriptures and add the many plain and precious truths back to them. These scriptures are important to your Heavenly Father. Are they important to us? This church, again, this church is important to our Heavenly Father. He has saw fit to reestablish this church multiple times throughout the course of human history, This church is important to him. Is it also important to us? To recognize Christ as our king, we perform his commandments. We make those things. We make time for the things which are important. Do we find those things important that God thinks are important? We strive to keep the spirit of the Lord with us. Strive to... Uh, to make our lives appropriate, that the Spirit of the Lord can strive with us, prompting us to acts of peace and joy, long-suffering, gentleness, patience, faith, brotherly kindness, temperance, mercy, and charity. One other scripture I want to read to you this morning. From the 34th section of the Doctrine and Covenants. Section 34 of the Doctrine and Covenants, this was given through Joseph Smith Jr. unto a man named Sidney Rigdon 192 years ago. In December of 1830, uh, Sidney came to go and see the prophet. 
Now, uh, Sidney Rigdon, he was a, was a long-time preacher, and he was given a copy of the Book of Mormon from his friend Parley P. Pratt. He gave him the Book of Mormon and said, okay, you read this, I'll be back in a couple of days and we can discuss it. In the interim, he read it and was convinced of his truth and uh, was immediately requested uh, a baptism. Uh, shortly thereafter, he goes uh, to meet the prophet. And um, it's shortly after this that he's ordained as an elder. And in uh, March of 1833, he is ordained as one of the counselors to the First Presidency, an office that he held even while Joseph and Hiram were being martyred in that uh, jailhouse. But here in December of 1830, Joseph goes up before the Lord and he asks him, what about this man named Sidney? And section 34 is the answer. And in the fifth paragraph it reads this, Wherefore watch over him, that his faith fail not. And it should be given by the Comforter, the Holy Ghost, that knoweth all things. And a commandment I give unto thee, that thou shalt write for him. And the scriptures shall be given, even as they are in mine own bosom, to the salvation of mine own elect, for they will hear my voice. And they shall see me, and shall not be asleep, and shall abide the day of my coming, for they shall be purified, even as I am pure. And I say unto you, tarry with him, and he shall journey with you. Forsake him not, and surely these things shall be fulfilled. And inasmuch as ye do not write, behold, it shall be given unto him to prophesy, and that shall preach my gospel. And call on the holy prophets to prove his words, as they shall be given him. Sidney was called to write for Joseph. And uh, if you read uh, Joseph's uh, journal, a lot of times, a lot of entries were dictated uh, by Joseph to Sidney as he wrote in, uh, in the journal there. Sidney certainly fulfilled this calling to travel with him, and he will tarry with you. And when Joseph is not, uh, uh, Joseph doesn't require you as a scribe, go out and preach the gospel, which Sidney, Sidney certainly did. But here in 5a it says, Watch over him, that his faith fail not. Watch over him, that his faith fail not. I guess we shouldn't be surprised that even the prophet needed comfort. Joseph was given a few companions here in the early church. He was given Martin Harris, and then eventually Oliver Cowdery, and now here in section 34 he's given Sidney uh, to be as a companion, and these two became friends, certainly. There are figures in my life, you know, as I, as I review in my life. You know, the Lord has given us much. Um, he's given us much uh, in this world and in this life. He's given us his scriptures. He's given us this, uh, this church. Uh, he's given us, uh, uh, Christ tells us that uh, when I leave you, that I'll send to you the comforter. I can't send them until I leave, but when I leave, I'll send you the comforter. And so we have this comforter, this, this wonderful blessing of the, the Holy Spirit to reside with us. But also, he has given unto us this uh, priesthood to uh, fill, 
attempt to fill the rather large vacancy left by his son. He's given us this priesthood. But interesting that you know, he's given us these, uh, these ordinances, the sacred and holy ordinances before the Lord. Section 83 of the Doctrine and Covenants, and in 3C you can read, Therefore, in the ordinances thereof, the power of godliness is manifest. And without the ordinances thereof and the authority of the priesthood, the power of godliness is not manifest unto men in the flesh. For without this, no man can see the face of God, even the Father, and live. And so all of these holy ordinances that the Lord has given us, no more profound, no more basic, no more important to one's salvation than the ordinance of baptism. Entry to the kingdom of God. Other ordinances, the laying on of hands for confirmation or ordination, or the administration to the sick or the sacrament. All of these holy ordinances, even weddings. And all of them designed with a singular purpose to bring mankind back into the presence of God. I believe that. And I know it to be true. But an interesting thing to me is that the Lord has given us yet one other thing. He's organized mankind into families. It's given unto each of us companions. Be that in a spouse, or children, or parents, or distant relatives, or near friends. He's given unto us companions. As I research and I look over my own life, there have been companions, like Sidney was to Joseph, there have been companions in my life. The first, of course, my grandmother. My uh, grandfather's uh, dying command to my grandmother. Get those boys to church. My brother and I. Get those boys to church. I'll admit, as a young man, as a child, I, I didn't really understand everything that was going on. But even as a young child, I could look up and I could see the conviction of those around me. Again, I have had family members, other family members, come into my life. And as a young man, I prayed about uh, a spouse for myself. I wanted someone who would help me create the right home. Sarah's not here this morning, so I get to embarrass her. And just when I thought that my life was exciting enough, my Lord gives me children two of them, at the same time. <laughs> I had to discuss, gosh, I had to discuss, to discuss bullying with my children the other day, and I had to break out my, my New Testament, and I had to teach them, how do we deal with bullies? You ask them next time you see them, they know. But there have been companions that have come and gone in my life, that have helped to strengthen my faith in this church, as I'm sure there are with you. So as we move into this holiday season, it's an excellent time for gratitude. Find them, remember them, and thank them.
Let us celebrate the Lord our God because he has given us much. Tenth chapter of Mark. Christ answers Peter when he says, Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house and brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive a hundredfold now. In this time, houses, brethren, sisters, and mothers, children, and lands with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. Our Lord has blessed us with much, a benevolent and wise creator. He looks into your heart, and he knows your every thought and intention. Let us carry Christ with us as we move from the sanctuary. Acknowledge him as your Savior. Take your sins and lay them at the Master's feet and there leave them. And go on celebrating life, uh, celebrating Christ as your King.
Heavenly Father, we come rejoicing, singing our holy praises to thy holy name. So thankful for this season where we celebrate that precious gift of your Son and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. And as we enter into this season of rejoicing and giving and receiving, Father, I would ask that your Holy Spirit might be that guide, that truly we might be that witnesses of thee to those remotest bounds. Bless this people as they leave this sanctuary this day, that truly they might be watched over, might be protected. And in this season, given that joy, that peace, and your holy love to each heart, we praise thee, Father, again for that gift that redeeming love of your Son and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. And may we ever honor Him and give glory to Thee. And I ask His favors in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>